It's Milwaukee's Tailgate, the midweek mini-pod edition. I'm J.P. Breen, as always. While Steve Ryan and I get together every Sunday to break down the week in Brewers baseball, as many of you know, I've started a new weekly feature, largely do it on, on Tuesday night, have it ready for your ears on Wednesday morning, in which I do a solo, usually shoot for about 20 minutes, of a podcast that focuses on a very specific subject. I've gotten a couple of great suggestions over the past two weeks here, some asking for Ben Sheets, some trying to ask for things about like CC Sabathia trades, a lot of retrospectives about individual players, but that's going to have to wait because the news cycle has decided what I'm going to talk about this week. Milwaukee's top prospect, Keston Hira, got his long-awaited call to the big leagues. But before we get there, we got a bit of housekeeping to do. Remember that you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We do want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. You can also follow our Facebook page, which I've seen a few more people following our Facebook page, which is great to see. And we've actually gotten a few questions from that as well. So keep sending them in. You can follow the three of us on Twitter. You'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, and we sincerely appreciate absolutely everybody who does, you can visit patreon.com slash Tailgate. Our MMB and Ball and Glove patrons receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast, which Ryan and I just released last week. Ryan and I gave our Minor League Pitcher and Position Player of the month of April. We also talked about some of the players who have caught our eye through the first month, month and a half or so of the season. And if you are somebody who does want one of those kind of deep dives into the Brewers minor league system, please consider getting involved on Patreon. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for their great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. But you can stop down to the Carbon 4 Tap Room at Kinsman Boulevard in Madison because they've got Idiot Farm and America AF on tap. Be sure to tell them that Milwaukee's Tailgate sent you because as friends of the podcast, you all can get 20% off the merch in Carbon 4 in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Steve has let me know that I have said 12% a few times. So I just want to reiterate, you get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. And as always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. As for this week, again, we're talking about Keston Hira and his much anticipated promotion to Milwaukee, which he got on Tuesday morning. He then made his big league debut on Tuesday evening against the Philadelphia Phillies, and he made an immediate impression by going two for three with a walk, including his first big league hit which was directly, which was an absolute bullet off the pitcher, caromed off toward the third baseman. But by the time the third baseman had any chance to get to it, Hero was already taking his, uh, taking his batting gloves off. Ed Cedar was doing his best to get the ball to make sure that Hira had something to take home and to commemorate the moment. And so to make room on the 25-man roster, the Brewers placed Travis Shaw on the 10-day DL with a wrist issue. And to make room on the 40-man roster, which here wasn't on the 40-man roster, so they needed to make room there as well, the Brewers designated Corey Spangenberg for assignment. 
And so for a bit of background, I know most people know Kesten Hura at this point, but a bit of background is always good as well. Brewers drafted Hura with the ninth overall pick of the 2017 MLB draft out of UC Irvine. And he was actually the, the highest pick to make his big league debut for Milwaukee since Ryan Braun, who was the fifth overall pick in 2005. And that way, I, I think it's probably fair to say that here is the most hyped prospect to come out of the of a Brewers draft class since Braun. And to be fair, it's pretty clear why, because here it can hit the damn ball. He was hitting 333 with an OPS over 1100 in AAA San Antonio. And... Yes, he was benefiting from a juiced ball, but the majors are also using that exact same juiced ball. So I've seen a lot of, you know, internet scouts. I've seen a lot of people who write on the minors. I've seen a lot of national folks casting a little bit of suspicion on AAA numbers because of this juiced ball. And I'm not sure that's as much of a criticism as everybody seems to think considering the exact same ball is being used in the major leagues. We've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, and Ryan and I have talked about it a little bit as well on the minor league podcast, that actually this continuity in terms of what ball they use in AAA and the majors actually seems to make some of the projection a little easier rather than more difficult. It doesn't make AAA stand out as some kind of anomaly. It actually brings a little bit of continuity through there. Yes, there's still going to be a jump in terms of talent level. I'm not saying that you can make a direct correlation between AAA and the majors, but it makes some of the power numbers a little bit easier to identify, makes some of the pitching issues a little bit more easy to to identify when you're talking about AAA pitchers because we always had to talk about you know whether or not uh, a pitcher j- jumping from AAA to uh, to the majors was actually going to be able to deal with the ball change, not necessarily just the talent change. Don't have to make those changes anymore. The ball is going to be the same. And so here's going to be the everyday second baseman for the time being. And Mike Moustakis is going to shift over to third base to cover for the recently departed Travis Shaw, who is now on the 10-day IL with a wrist issue. So what should fans expect from here? And we've talked about it a lot at this point, so some of this will be overview. But Brewers fans, I think, should, in essence, expect much of much of what we saw on Tuesday night. Bunch of line drives, absolutely scalded balls, a few walks, and passable defense. Not, not tremendous defense, but certainly passable. Anybody who watched the game on Tuesday night or has seen him in and in the minors knows that he employs a big leg kick as a timing mechanism. And recently, I think we've been able to see that he is a bit more swing and miss to his game than most expected when he was drafted. But much of that has come because he's added a bit of loft to his swing to try to access some of that power. Or at least access the raw power a little bit more than he was before with his line drive oriented swing. I think he can hit about... 275 with double-digit homers from here to the end of the season if given a chance to remain with the big league club throughout throughout the rest of the year. And as we'll discuss a little bit more when it comes to Travis Shaw and what this means for him, I'm not 100% sure it's a given that he's going to remain with the big league club throughout the remainder of the year because this was not necessarily a promotion that was being driven wholly by his performance because if it was wholly by his performance, he would have been up in the big leagues for a while. This is largely being driven by the fact that Travis Shaw unexpectedly needed to hit the IL because of a wrist issue. And so here it is up because they needed to fill a they needed to fill a spot. 
What happens when that spot's no longer needed? We'll see when that comes. But here is not, you know, he's not like this perfect prospect, obviously. He's not this guy that doesn't have any warts in his game. We talked a little bit about the swing and miss issues, but defensively, he's got some concern. He doesn't really have a plus glove anywhere. In some ways, this was one of the reasons why he dropped a little bit in in the 2017 draft. If it was just about as bad, he probably would have gone 1-1. But it was a a huge question. Was he going to play second base? Could you somehow get him in center? Were you going to try to hide him in left field because of his arm issues? Second base, he hadn't really played there much. A lot of people weren't necessarily worried about his arm strength because... Second base, you don't need huge arm strength, but you do need the ability to play around the keystone, and he just hadn't really shown that a lot throughout his collegiate career. But the biggest issue was that he had elbow trouble. He had a UCL injury. There were a lot of questions on whether or not he was going to need Tommy John surgery. The The organization and Hira himself decided that they wanted to try to rehab it, and they've been able to avoid surgery thus far, and he's been able to play defensively at second base every single day. So... It seems like they've made the right choice, but there is the lingering issue that kind of the elbow could go at any moment. And if it does go, that's basically going to be a lost year. Tommy John surgery doesn't affect position players as much as it affects hitters in terms of the length of their time away. But it is going to probably be the vast majority of a year, if not the entire year, as opposed to the 18 months that you see a lot of the time with with pitchers. But people that actually follow baseball prospectus, they follow BP, might be interested to know that that Pakoda, their projection system, doesn't actually love Keston here. In 2019, Pakoda didn't see Hira getting too much playing time, but even if you fast forward to what he was going to do in 2020, Pakoda was projecting him to hit just 243, 283, 413 with an 87 DRC+. And that 87 DRC plus means he's projected to be 13% worse than the league average hitter. I think that's largely responding to his batting average drop that we saw when he reached double A last year. He only hit 272. And even though that's not dreadful, he didn't really hit for much power. And that's a tough profile for Pakoda to figure out. A guy with a middling batting average. Not great power, guy who had an ISO under 150. It's not a great profile for a projection system to move forward. But I think it's important that you trust the scouts rather than rather than uh, Pakoda on this one. I do. I do wonder how. I guess how different Pakoda would have looked, how the projection systems would have looked if they would have included his Arizona Fall League performance in which he hit 323 with 12 extra base hits in front of tons and tons of scouts in just 23 games last October. My guess, depending on what you think of the AFL in terms of its its talent level, but in general, they do see it kind of as double-A or, mi- or somewhat between double-A and triple-A. My guess is Pakoda would have been much, much more bullish on Hura if those numbers would have been kind of baked into the projection system rather than largely just relying on what he was doing in double eight last year. But again, that's just one man's feel because again, the, the, the scouts are all about Hira. They're all about his bat speed. They're all about his ability to hit the ball all over the field. 
line drive gap to gap, his ability to hit for a little bit more power than we thought going forward. But it is interesting that you don't see it in Pagoda. We'll see how it goes going forward. And if we kind of take Tuesday night as a as a harbinger for things to come, we saw the bat speed. We saw his ability to line the ball all over the park. Should be good things to come. But what does this mean for Travis Shaw? We've been talking a lot about Shaw's struggles on the main podcast, and what we didn't really expect when we were going through all the different options was that Shaw was going to suffer another wrist injury. He told reporters on Tuesday, Tuesday morning, I think, that he felt a sharp pain in his wrist during his fourth at-bat on Monday night in Philadelphia. He, after the game, you know, he told the Brewers coaching staff, they all agreed that, A, Shaw probably shouldn't have played through the wrist injury that he played through last year. And they decided to shut it down for treatment when Shaw said that he was experiencing pain in the exact same location that he had pain last year. So with that said, even though it's convenient, it doesn't seem to be a fake injury. David Stearns and Shaw himself have all mentioned that the timing is fortuitous. We all know that Shaw needed an extended break. He needed an extended mental break more than anything. But this injury allows him to get his wrist and, frankly, his mind back on track a little bit more. And you could hear in the, if you go on to, to Tom Hodricourt's Twitter feed. He had a video interview with Travis Shaw. You can see he's pretty dejected about the entire thing. It's going to be an opportunity for him to kind of take a step back, take a few deep breaths, try to get himself uh, to get himself he- healthy so he can potentially go on a rehab assignment and find his groove again. That we saw, f- and and it it's something we saw in spring training. It's not like he's been dreadful all year. He's been dreadful as the the regular season has started, but when he was starting. The Cactus League campaign, starting in spring training, he was absolutely mashing the ball. So it's an opportunity for him to take a step back. But the path back to Forshaw is a little unclear. Does he need Hira to perform badly? Does he need another injury? Does he need either Aguilar or Thames to, to basically crater to the point that they're not helpful on the team whatsoever? What happens if everybody is hitting the ball well and staying healthy? Does the organization then use his remaining minor league option? One imagines that the organization is just going to kick that decision down the road as much as possible. But it's not all that clear to me when or how Shaw works his way back into the playing time rotation if everyone performs to their capabilities. Yeah, if somebody's awful, somebody gets hurt, easy solution. No problem. If not, I do wonder if Shaw is the odd man out. And that's weird because the Brewers need Shaw, not only this year, but they need him beyond this season. Mike Moustakas is going to be gone. Thames' contract will be out. And the Brewers don't have a ready-made replacement at third base, no matter you know what Ryan says about Lucas Ersig. But Aguilar is showing that a left-handed platoon mate is maybe more necessary than we thought coming into the year. So unlike, say, you know, Domingo Santana from last year, the organization is going to be invested in making sure that Shaw finds his way back to the Major League roster as soon as possible, and as productively as possible. Right now, it's about getting the wrist right. 
But one of the big things that we've talked about with Keston here is it is the path wasn't necessarily clear how he was going to get onto the roster. And now that he is on the roster, the path for Shaw to get back on the roster isn't necessarily all that clear either. Most likely an injury, underperformance, something like that is going to play its way out. But one does wonder if everybody does perform well, if everybody stays healthy, what happens to Travis Shaw? And that's a problem if he's the odd man out because they need him going forward. And the last thing that makes me wonder in, in terms of Kesson here and his call up, who's the big dog in the minors now? Who's the number one prospect down in the minors now that Kesson here is on his way up? And the cupboards are a bit bare in the minors. Fangrass, for example, had Tristan Lutz as their number two prospect coming into the year, but he's hitting 232 in high A Carolina and is striking out one third of his plate appearances. It's not a great sign. Corey Ray, who was number three in the Fangraphs list, has struck out 36 times in 20 games and has a batting average below the Mendoza line, which is also not great. Now, I, I could be persuaded to put Lutz as the number one prospect in the Brewer system, but most likely it shortstop Bryce Trey. And he plays above, uh, an above average shortstop. He's shown a keen knowledge of the strike zone this year. He's walking a lot, he's not striking out all that much. The issue is power, and he did just hit his first home run of the 2019 season on Tuesday afternoon for the Timber Rattlers. But what he is, is he's a contact-heavy, a contact heavy, a low-power, good-glove shortstop. And that profile isn't exactly an impact profile. It's probably a big-league profile. I'm not sure it's an impact profile. And if that's the best that the Brewers' farm system has to offer right now, it's not great. Now, there are interesting pieces in the lower minors. We'll get to see some interesting guys once rookie ball in the Dominican Summer League kick into gear. We're excited to see guys like Eduardo Garcia come in and kind of get his feet wet in the Dominican Summer League after so many great uh, kind of early prospect reports coming out. For now, though, the Brewer system isn't stocked full of high-profile talent. It has a lot of role players. It has your Zach Browns. Has your guys like, you know, whether you're talking about Tyrone Taylor, whether you're talking about Lucas Ursig, whether you're talking about guys like Aaron Ashby, you've got a lot of guys that you see roles for at the big league level. You don't see a lot of high profile impact talent. For the Brewers' current big league, their big league squad and, and the, the young talent they've got there, it's probably okay that they don't have a farm system that's absolutely stocked full of high impact talent. They will need to restock it soon though. They're bigly they're they're a small market organization. They need to have a stocked minor league system. And it's going to be hard to restock that in this year's draft because of what they've sacrificed in free agent signings and in trades. Likely what they'll need is international signings to finally start breaking through. But this is about here and what he brings to the table. He's a dynamic bat first, second baseman, brings another right-handed bat to the lineup that we've seen, frankly, be a little bit too left-handed in recent weeks, especially because Ryan Braun's hamstring issues. And we got a taste of what Hero will bring to the Brewers on Tuesday night. Long may it continue. And that's going to do it for this week. As always, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Again, our patrons at the M&B and ball and glove levels receive 
the monthly minor league extra podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate, and you can submit questions to uh, milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, overcast, pocket cast, wherever you get, wherever you listen to your podcast, Steve knows the drill. He, he gets us listed absolutely everywhere. Make sure you subscribe, leave reviews, help people find the podcast, especially now that the Brewers are still up near the top of the NL Central. Make sure that people know that Milwaukee's tailgate is the place to listen to Brewers, Brewers baseball podcast, basically. And thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you soon.